Welcome back, my fellow creatives. We are here on You've Got Five Pages to Tell Me It's Good to see if a new release at my local library can indeed, in five pages, tell me it's good. It's been a bugger of a week, so I was really stoked to have something that comes off as being a little lighthearted. I know it's a not quite a typical new release because it came to my library back in March and here we are in May, but the title won me over. I am talking about Vera Wong's unsolicited advice for murderers. <laughs> I mean, you just, you can't go wrong with a title like that. It's by Jesse Q. Sutanto. I apologize if I got the pronunciation of the name incorrect, but oh man, I just, this sounds on point, especially considering I've enjoyed uh, reading some Agatha Christie Miss Marple lately. So yes, I am all for a nice old lady who solves murders because, you know, let's face it, we all have aspirations. That's my dream when I grow up. I'm being a little old lady that solves murders. <clears throat> so let's see how the first five pages or the first chapter goes with Vera Wong's unsolicited advice for murderers. No prologue. Yay. All right. Chapter one. Vera. Vera Wong Tsutsu, aged 60, is a pig, but she really should have been a born a rooster. We are, of course, referring to Chinese horoscopes. Vera Wong is a human woman, thank you very much. But roosters have nothing on her. Every morning at exactly 4.30, Vera's eyelids snap open like roller shades shooting up. Then the upper half of her body levitates from the mattress. No lazy rolling out of bed for Vera, though admittedly sitting up in bed now comes with about half a dozen clicks and clacks of her joints. She swings her fuzzy socked feet out with gusto and immediately finds the slippers she placed next to her bed with military precision the night before. She takes a quick moment to send a text to her son, reminding him that he's sleeping his life away and should have been up and at it before her. He is, after all, a young man with a whole world to conquer. Late mornings, Vera believes, are only for toddlers and Europeans. Okay, I gotta stop. This first paragraph is wonderful. <laughs> Pardon me. What a delightful first impression, not just of our protagonist here, Vera, but of our narrator as well. Clearly a voice that has a bit of sense of humor that isn't afraid to poke and and uh, smile a bit at, at our character's uh, idiosyncrasies. And sharing these idiosyncrasies as well about Vera, just how she wakes up. It says a lot about her, says she pays an extreme amount of attention to detail. She's extremely nosy <laughs> that she's going to be texting her son at 4.30 in the morning just to make sure he wakes up. Um, and, and just also the play on emphasizing culture from the get-go the fact that we connect her with you know chinese horoscopes so we understand what kind of culture we are dealing with and the fact that she's like sleeping it's for europeans that's great so immediately i i am finding our narrator personable and i am finding vera to be a very 
unique character. All right, let's get back to it. After a quick wash, Vera dons her morning gear, a polo shirt with a Ralph Lauren logo so big that it covers her entire left breast. Well, okay, thanks to the ravages of time and gravity, it covers the top half of her breast. <laughs> and nurse sweatpants. Arm sleeves are yanked on and adjusted so that there isn't an exposed sliver of skin between her shirt sleeves and the removable ones. Many years ago, when Vera was a brazen young woman, she never checked her arm sleeves and often walked around with a tan strip of skin around her upper arms. Those were obviously the wild days, when she lived life on the edge and took unnecessary risks. <laughs> sleeves on, Vera nods at her reflection and marches to the kitchen, where she gulps down a pint of room-temperature water. Cold water, Vera believes, would freeze the fats in your arteries and give you heart disease. At the door, Vera dons her orthopedic sneakers and her tortoise-shell sunglasses, and finally, the last and perhaps most vital article of clothing! A visor so enormous that there is no way that a single ray of freckle-causing, wrinkle-making sunlight could snake its way onto her face. Then, without a backward glance, Vera strides out into the world. And all of this happens without the aid of alarm clocks. Vera really should have been a rooster, but she isn't. She is a pig, and perhaps that is where all the trouble began. Oh my goodness, what a great first scene! And and you know what's excellent too about this? Because how often have I complained about starting with exposition? I complain a lot about it, let's be real. Yet this is exposition here. It is exposition describing regular movements, though, so I can see why this is not being treated as, <clears throat> like, narrative action. Making an exposition helps emphasize that this is an everyday affair, not something happened this specific day. No, this is every day. So sharing it with us through exposition allows us to better understand this is normal for this protagonist. Plus, it gives us a chance to have a little more fun with the narrative voice. And we see we end this little scene here with a return to our hook of a first sentence about what Chinese horoscope, what sign she was born under. And me, in my American ignorance, um, I've 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 understood a bit about roosters. I I because one of my kids is born a rooster, but I don't have any kids born under the sign of the pig, so I'm not sure what that means. But clearly, it means something because the scene ends with, and perhaps that is where all the trouble began. So as a reader, I want to know what trouble, what's going on here. But as a writer, this is a delightful bit of fun to um explore. I mean, clearly we're like the fact that Vera thinks cold water is going to give her heart disease. You know, it's it those little asides, they only take a sentence. And I think that's something we writers need to make sure we remember. It only takes a line to add a lot to your character. I mean, just one sentence. I mean, right there, that tells me Vera is someone who has her own thoughts and you aren't going to persuade her for nothing. She believes what she believes and that's that. Even if it's absolutely absurd. 
And that line right there about how cold water is going to give you heart disease, that is a wonderful example of an important facet of Veer's personality. And as a writer, we just needed one line to pull it off. So it's wonderfully done. All right, let's dive into the next bit here. According to the Chinese horoscope, pigs are diligent and compassionate and are the ones to call upon when sincere advice is needed. Unfortunately, very few people call Vera for sincere advice or even insincere advice. The one person who should be calling her at all times for advice, her son Tilbert, never does. Vera doesn't quite understand why. When her parents were alive, she often went to them for advice, even when she didn't need to. Because unlike her son, Vera was a filial child and knew that asking her parents for advice made them feel needed. <laughs> well, no matter. Vera is a diligent mother and goes out of her way to give Tilly all the advice he could ever need anyway. <gasps> oh my goodness. Her previous texts are as follows. Yay, we're going to see what Vera writes in text messages. Okay, said today at 431 a.m. <laughs> okay. Tilly, are you awake? It is 4.31 a.m. Very late. When I was your age, I wake up at 4 a.m. every morning to cook breakfast for Ajong and Ama. Kilai, seize the day. Carpe diem. Kind regards, Mama. Send yesterday at 7.45 p.m. Tilly, I noticed that this girl at Not Chloe Bennett has liked two of your videos on the TikTok. I think this means she likes you. I look at her profile and she pout a lot, but I think she will make good wife. She went with her mother for manicure last week. This means she is a filial daughter. Perhaps you should slip and slide into her DM. Kind regards, Mama. Vera had been particularly pleased about using the phrase slip and slide into her DM. Vera insists on keeping up to date with every trend. She doesn't believe in getting left behind by the younger generations. Every time she comes across a nonsensical sounding phrase, she looks it up on the Google and jots down its meaning in her little notebook. Sent yesterday at 5.01 p.m. Tilly, it is 5 p.m. I hope you have eaten your dinner. Your Uncle Lin eat dinner at 7 p.m. every night, and he didn't even live past 30. You better eat dinner now. Kind regards, Mama. This one actually garnered a reply from her son, Tilly. Uncle Lin died because he was hit by a bus. <laughs> and I've told you to stop calling me Tilly. I go by Bert. Oh, man, I needed this today. And Vera writes back. Don't talk back to your elders. I raise you better than that. And what is wrong with Tilly? It's a good name. Your Baba and I think long and hard about your name. You should treasure it. This was followed by more silence from Tilly. But no matter. There is no time for her wayward son right now because Vera is about to start her morning walk. And morning walks are a serious business. First, there is the stretching. Many people her age complain of stiff joints and unbending limbs, but Vera goes into a low squat without much difficulty and bends at the waist until the tips of her fingers touch her sneakers. 
when he was a teen, Tilly had been extremely embarrassed about Vera's stretching routine. He'd begged her to do it in the privacy of their home instead of on the sidewalk, but one needs fresh air to properly stretch, and anyway, Tilly should be proud that his mother is setting such a good example for their neighbors. <sighs> With her muscles sufficiently warmed up, Vera gets into walking position. Chin up, chest out, and elbows perpendicular to her body. Then she begins to walk, her fists swinging in front of her chest with the enthusiasm of a North Korean soldier at a national parade. Vera's morning walk can only be described as vigorous. She is a general on the warpath, eating up the miles with ruthless efficiency. Anyone foolish enough to get in her way is met with a cutting glare, which is invisible behind the sunglasses and the visor. But Vera relishes in having to swerve around passers-by, as it is a chance for her to put her agility and quick reflexes to the test. For her last birthday, Tilly gave her a Samsung watch that could measure her steps, but Vera sees no need for it because she knows exactly how many steps her daily route takes. 3,112 steps, starting on Trenton and Pacific, where her house is, down along Washington, where all the mom-and-pop grocery stores and souvenir shops are preparing to open for the day. Some of the shop owners wave at Vera and call out greetings, but they all know she can't stop for a chat, not when she's on her morning walk. Still, Vera has impeccable manners, so she calls out niceties in Mandarin like, Wow, the melons look good, Mr. Hong! Or, The weather is finally warming up, Sister Zhao! As she zips past. She slows down a little in front of the cafe that sprouted like a particularly pestilent, oh, I'm sorry, particularly postulant pimple two years ago on Washington. The owner is a rude millennial who doesn't even live in Chinatown. Vera's mother twists in a sneer as she walks past, and she is all, and as she has always done every morning, she places a silent curse on the cafe. Even its name irks her. The cafe. She could just imagine the kind of confusion it has caused to its customers. Where would you like to go? The cafe. Right, which one? The cafe. Which one? <laughs> She's thinking this. I love this character. Oh my goodness. This is great. Okay. Sorry, we'll get back to her thinking and the exposition. Okay. You'd think that with a name like that, the cafe would have folded long ago. But no, in defiance of all logic, not only did it not go under, it flourished, stealing customers from the older shops in the vicinity. Often when Vera sits in her quiet tea shop, her mind wanders to the cafe, and it ruins her perfectly wonderful tea. Truly the cafe and its horribly unhealthy product, coffee, ugh, are a blight on San Franciscans, nay, on humanity. Oh my heavens. Okay, we, we're going to finish this chapter and then I'll reflect, because this is too much fun. When she gets down to the Dragon Gate of Chinatown on Bush Street, she turns the corner and walks along Stockton all the way to Wohai Yuen, where the Tai Chi Quan group is just starting their routine. Her husband, Jin Long, came here every day up until he had his stroke. He often tried to get Vera to join him, but Vera did not see the point in Tai Chi. Too slow to do much good, surely. It's about as effective as yoga, which is to say, not very. Each time after Jin Long finished with Tai Chi, Vera would check his pulse, and he never once broke 80. What is even the point? Still, she walks through Wohai Yen and waves at the Tai Chi group and ignores the way her heart cracks a little when she sees that Jin Long isn't among the slow-moving people. 
Silly woman, of course Jin Long isn't here. He is safe in a silver urn in her living room, and that's that. First thing Vera does at the end of each walk is to press her thumb against her, the inside of her wrist and measure her heart rate. Satisfied that it's at a respectable 92 beats per minute, Vera trudges inside through her dark tea shop and up the stairs back to her living quarters. After an invigorating cold shower, Vera eats a well-balanced breakfast of congee, preserved duck eggs, and fermented tofu. Finally, she toddles back down and bustles about tidying up and preparing her shop. As a teenager, Tilly delighted in pointing out the inaccuracies in the name Vera Wang's world-famous tea house. First of all, and nobody now knows about it, so it's not really world-famous, he said with a roll of his eyes. Vera tutted, but before he could, she could answer, Jin Long said, Not true. Your mother was very well known back in China for her teas. Many customers come from faraway places just to taste her tea. Mm-hmm, Tilly said, clearly unconvinced. He quickly moved on to his next attack. And why is it called Vera Wing? You're Vera Wong! Ah, Jin Long said with an admiring glance at Vera. That's because your mother is a very smart lady, very savvy. Vera Wang is a very famous person. Even white people know her name. So your mother said we might as well name it after her. That's called misrepresentation, Baba! Tilly snapped. You guys could get sued! Then he added, very spitefully, Vera thought. If anybody knew about this tea house, that is. But I guess since nobody knows of its existence, it doesn't matter. Jin Long only laughed and patted Tilly on the back. Oh, Ertzi, you are so full of knowledge about the law. Maybe you go to law school, eh? Things were so much easier back then, when Jin Long was around to act as a buffer between Vera and Tilly. After Jin Long's death, the relationship between mother and son had sagged slowly but inevitably into almost nothing. Tilly did indeed go to law school. Tilly is now a junior associate at a fancy law firm near the Embar Embarcadero. Okay, I'm not from San Francisco, obviously. Embarcadero. Okay. With offices so high up that you can see the car lights twinkling on the Bay Bridge at night. Not that Vera would know. It's not like Tilly ever invites her to his office, but she likes to imagine what Tilly sees when he gazes out of his office window. Stop thinking about Tilly. Vera scolds herself as she lifts the last chair from the table and sets it on the floor. She goes to the front door and flips the sign from closed to open. Then she walks behind the counter, perches on her stool, and awaits her customers. Vera Wang's world-famous tea house is open for business. And that's the first chapter. And it was a delight. I loved reading through it. And yet, if you notice, it's the last page and a half. Yeah where she starts thinking about her husband, where while we still have the lightheartedness, it definitely has some weight added here because of speaking of the husband, remembering the husband and how his loss kind of broke the family up. Um, and this is delightfully done. Like it's, I don't feel like bringing up the husband's loss is so heavy-handed. I mean, after all, a parental loss, especially among the elderly, is not something that is so absurd or far gone. And it is introduced to us in a playful way when she is, you know, 
poo-pooing those who do tai chi because it just seems like such a waste and you know but how often did her husband do it and her heart cracks a little and that's where we get that sense like she continues to go through there every day for a reason even though as she reminds herself her husband's in an urn in her living room so she didn't lose him and yet his loss as the narrator says he was the buffer or you could say the the bond between mother and son because the son did go on to do just what the father said and yet there is a very deep loss here there is a divide now um and it makes you hurt a little because here's clearly a woman who not only lost her husband but in a way also her son even though she is ready to give him advice at 4 31 a.m <laughs> but clearly the relationship they had is not the same and as a reader as just you know a fellow human being we can feel that hurt even if it's not forced upon us we can get that sense and so i I think this is a lovely start to a story. I'm I'm happy to try and keep reading this. Um, and I can see that uh, Jesse Q. Sutanto has a wonderful sense of balance between, yep, the playfulness, the uh, quirkiness, but also knowing that emotional weight is important too. And it doesn't have to be heavy handed. It can just arrive organically in the prose. So yeah, I'm stoked. Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers. I hope you find it if you are up for something a little different. Um, but yeah, maybe we'll see what's different next week when I visit the new release shelf. So until then, read on, share on, and write on, my friends. Cheers. <laughs>